0: Uh, join me in uh, turning to Exodus chapter 3 uh, last week we uh, we looked at all of chapter three in the first half of, of chapter four and uh, this morning I um, I want to basically we're kind of backing into the middle of chapter three and pulling out two verses um, uh, for uh, a a look at God himself Um So uh, this morning, uh, Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 13 to 15. Um, Let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is His name? throughout all generations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help as we approach His word. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would so be at work now that we would hear and believe and understand uh, and be changed by this, the very word of God. We pray all of this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, this past week, I was—I um, went to a conference in Birmingham. Uh, Tommy Lee and I went down. I, I registered to go and sent a link to Tommy and said, "You might like this. Come go with me." So Tommy went with me. Tommy's the pastor of Decatur Press, our mother church. Those of you going, who's Tommy Lee? Like that means nothing to me. Um, we're a, we were—we were planted out of Decatur Press. Anyway, there you go. Um, And, and, um, it was interesting to be in that context, primarily pastors, a lot of ruling elders, um, and, and people I hadn't seen in, in years, um, people who at one time were in my youth group and are now, uh, pastors of churches, um, people who at one time were in my youth group and now, um, married and have kids and. And our elders in churches, you know how that goes, right? You, you kind of grow up and you start seeing these people and you're like, I remember you when you were, um, and now they're adults. Um, but there was a pattern. I noticed, I discovered, I realized that there's, a, there's sort of a standard pattern, right? So Wednesday night I went to dinner with Tommy and, and one of his friends, somebody I hadn't met, and we had that conversation Wednesday I had lunch with a, another friend and some people he knew, his associate pastor and some other people. And, and the conversation was always the same. You know, there, There's always this, this standard introduction, especially when you're in um, sort of a specific group of people like this. Again, primarily of the you know, few hundred people there, primarily pastors, not only, but primarily pastors pastors the conversation usually goes you know what's your name what do you do which obviously if you're talking to pastors you kind of know what they do but but i was talking with a a guy who's 39 and and married and has kids uh and was a 20 year old uh, when i knew him when i was ordained he was a clemson student at the time um and now he's a ruling elder in his church, 39, and children. You do the, what do you do? How long, how long have you been there? How long have you been doing this? It's, it's always the same sort of standard conversation. Uh, you bump into somebody you haven't seen in a long time and, and you knew where they once were and you say things like, where are you these days? Uh, what are you doing these days? There's always the same. It's the same four or five questions that you always ask. What's your name? What do you do? Where are you? How long have you been there? How do we know each other? It's those standard questions when you're in those kinds of circles. Sometimes you're meeting those people for the first time. Sometimes you're seeing people you've known, but the conversations don't drastically change. Well, the reality is we have that exact conversation right here in Exodus chapter 3. We have that exact same conversation. Who are you? What do you do? How long have you been doing it? It's the exact same kind of introduction when God introduces Himself, as it were, to Moses. And He answers all the same standard introductory questions. Of course, He does it with one sentence. But He still answers all of those questions. Same questions Moses you recall he's come face to face with a face to face with a bush on fire that's not really burning up there, there's fire on the bush but the bush isn't being consumed by the fire uh, that fire is God himself and he speaks to Moses from That flame and he calls and commissions Moses to go back to Egypt to get the Israelites and to um, to go tell Pharaoh, hey, by the way, Pharaoh, I'm taking these people and we're leaving and and the Israelites are going to listen to you and Pharaoh, not so much, but this is your calling. This is your commission. It's been. Forty years since Moses was in Egypt And if you remember, his exit was under uh, rather um, difficult conditions. He had killed an Egyptian. Uh, The next day, a couple of Israelites were fighting and they were afraid he was going to kill them too. Um, His own people didn't trust him. The Egyptians didn't like him. Uh, And now he's supposed to go back. And deliver these Israelites. And he spends the vast majority of chapters 3 and 4 objecting. As we mentioned last week. He basically ultimately looks at God and says. You know what God. You're wrong. Um, you shouldn't be calling me. I'm not the right guy. I'm, I'm not the one you want for this job. You are wrong and and his big objection at least here in this particular context in these 3 verses has to do with authority by whose authority will he go back and tell pharaoh we're leaving and tell the israelites come go with me because the reality is moses understands he doesn't have any authority he has no right in and of himself to go back and make these demands. And so it's in that context that he asks God in verse 13, if... Now, notice he's already, right? He's objected a couple of times. He's going to object a few more times. But here, now, if I you know, <laughs> obey the commands of the triune God of heaven and earth, if I decide to do what you tell me to do. Now, let's, let's suppose, suppose I actually go through with this and tell them that God wants us to, uh, to leave. Then, then what exactly am I going to say to them? Notice this question. What's His name? Thus begins this introduction that God gives to Moses. With one answer, you learn all that you need to know about God to this question. And yet, with that answer, the answer is almost a little incomplete, and we'll spend the rest of our lives growing in our understanding of that answer, and really, this actually is what the book of Exodus is about. Answering this very question, what. Is His name, and so there's the question in verse 13. Now you know you know this. We we, we've all been down this road. We all read God's word, and we recognize that we don't always get all the answers to the questions that we have. We want to know, well, hold on, time out, and, and we want to know some backstory on this particular person or this particular situation, or we have more questions about this particular paragraph, and we aren't given those answers. See, the reality is, we don't know whether the Israelites really didn't know God's name or not. Right? If they ask me, what's his name, what am I going to say to them? Does that mean Moses didn't know? Does it mean the Israelites don't know? Does it mean, well, everybody knows, but Moses, we're just putting you on the test. We're putting you on the spot. Or does it mean that we've never had a name given to us like this before? See, the reality is, here's a little, little secret. The name Yahweh shows up in Genesis. It's already We've already seen it in Exodus. So it's not like it's, never been used before there's this is one of those times when you don't get all the answers that you want i'm inclined to think that this is basically yet another way that moses is objecting to god I've got to have all the answers. I've got to have everything straight. I've got to have everything squared away. I don't think this is actually a real question. I think it's merely Moses objecting in yet another way. And so he asks, who are you? If they ask me, what is God's name? What is the name of the God of our fathers? What am I going to do? To tell them? Well, we get the answer in verses 14 and 15. Notice the first response is simply, I am who I am. I I hope, I hope at some level, I hope there's some bit of response in you that goes, Well, I mean, right? I mean, like, me too right I, I am who i am I mean, there's a there's a part of you i think i hope wrestling a little bit with i mean that's like a statement of fact that's always true like that doesn't seem to answer the question at all in fact some commentators actually contend that that's not an answer at all that god is merely stating a fact that isn't technically an answer to the question. But he goes on. There's a, a second part. Notice his answer to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. And then he starts to answer Moses' question, bigger question, which is, if I go back to those people what, and I need to tell them they ask me what his name is, I need an answer. So notice how he answers in verse 14. Answer part one, I am who I am. Answer part two. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's a clarification of the first part. You tell them, I am has sent me to you. You know, we pick out names based on I don't know family, cool cities we've lived in. Um, you know, I, with any number of reasons we come up with names for our children. Um, you know, we've 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 prayed for a couple of children already. Children finish in high school and college, they're not children. But anyway, right? We've, for our kids, they're all family names. We grabbed family names from different places and, and figured out a way to name our children that way. In the Bible, when you read names, they have more to do with character than just, this is the word by which you get this guy's attention right if i want your attention i say your name and and that's the problem with things like mothers day because you hear mom and everybody you know half the room turns and goes what 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 with you get a name you you give a name and that's that's the 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 word that i use to get your attention god's saying something about his character here More than just, this is the name that you use to get my attention. Notice, first of all, I am is present tense. Um, See, the reality is when we say I am who I am, that might be true right now, but that's not true all the time. Because I am who I am today Which I hope is not who I was 30 years ago. Which I hope is not who I will be in the future. You see, when God says I am, He's saying He's eternal. When you use a present tense verb, and it's present tense all the time, that means there's no time when He wasn't. God is saying by this name I am he's saying I am eternal. He's not he's not d- didn't not exist and at some point and then suddenly began to exist and then he was he's saying I always have been. God's making sure Moses knows I am eternal. He's also saying that he doesn't change. I literally stood there talking to this 39 year old. I I hear my name at this conference this week. I hear Jeff, and I turn and look, and I recognize the face immediately. I knew exactly who he was, but he didn't look like the 22 year old he was when I left Greenville, South Carolina in 2004. He looked. I, I knew it was Jeff. I knew his name is Jeff also. I knew it was Jeff. I knew exactly who he was. But he didn't look exactly like he looked seventeen years ago. I'm impressed he recognized me. We change. Things things change. We 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 grow. We we get gray hair. We change in all sorts of different ways. If God is saying I am, then He's saying I don't. I don't change. Who I am today is who I was yesterday and exactly who I will be tomorrow. We can't say that. Both for good and for bad. He's also saying he's independent. He doesn't need anything. He has no needs. Why do you sleep at night? Because the movie was boring right because the tv show was boring no, you sleep at night because your body needs to be healed to be to recover why do you eat food well because it's delicious well yeah but because your stomach growls and you need food for fuel and nourishment you need sleep you need to eat you need to exercise you need to shower you need god needs nothing in fact you actually see that in the bush right this bush is on fire how does fire work well it consumes whatever it is it burns the wood becomes the fuel for the fire except the bush didn't change that fire existed without the bu- without needing the bush without depending on the bush we need god doesn't need we change god doesn't change we have a beginning and an end god does not god is eternal he's always present tense verb that's what he's saying in this and again there's the introduction con- con- conversation right who are you i am how long have you been there i am what do you do I am. Right? You're getting all the answers to all of that introduction question with one direct answer. Implied in this name is that God is the only. You go go tell Pharaoh that God wants me to leave. And he would say... No, I don't. He was a God in Egypt. He was he was sort of their version of God on earth, God incarnate, the, the, the human form of their God. And when that Pharaoh died, he would become a different God, and the next Pharaoh would be... Moses walks into Pharaoh's office. Hey, uh, Pharaoh, by the way, I'm going to go get the Israelites, and we're going to go out... Um, and we're going to leave Egypt, we're going to go a three days journey, and we're going to go worship God. And Pharaoh's going, hold on a second, time out. I'm God. What about all of our gods? What about, all the, what about the sun? What about the moon? What about the Nile River? I'm like, you can't leave Egypt and worship God because they're all here. And God's saying, I am. I am the only I'm the only true God. God is eternal. He's independent. He's the only. He doesn't change. You know, if you're faced with trials, if you're faced with difficulties, if you're faced with sorrows, if you're faced with the pains of life in a fallen, broken world... Where will you turn? To to friends who are going to say, you know what, what you really need is to dig deeper inside yourself. You you know what you really need is, you've got everything you need. And and what you need more than anything is just to to pluck up your courage. to, To drum up the strength and try harder. Because everything you need is inside of you. When you go through trials and struggles and conflicts, can you count on your friends? Are your children, are your parents this dependable? See, God is saying to Moses, remember we pointed this out last week, that every answer to every objection that Moses gave, God's answer was, but I. You know, God, I mean, I don't I don't speak real well, but I. You know, God, I just don't know but I. I mean, do I, am I really supposed to go tell the But I. That was the answer every single time. You and I face the difficulties and struggles and conflicts of life in a fallen, broken world. Because God never changes. God has no needs. God is eternal, and God Is the only one ruling and reigning over all of creation. In other words, if you know God's name, you know you can count on Him. That's His point to Moses. But notice there's more to His answer in verse 15. I am who I am. And then he says to Moses, Moses, when you get to the Israelites, say this to the people. Say, I am has sent me to you. And then the next sentence is exactly the same. Say this also to the people of Israel. Say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Do you notice what he changed? It's still a to-be verb. Your English versions, most of them, have all capital letters, Lord. That's our English version way of making sure we know that the English, that that's the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which in Hebrew is just four consonants, Y-H-V-H. We have the Lord in all caps. God's making a connection between I am and Yahweh his covenant name because what comes after the Lord is all covenant language the the one who entered into a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and provided for them and and delivered them and spared them and brought you here brought them here to Egypt and who is now going to get them out of Egypt He appeals to this this special covenant relationship that God has with the Israelites. So in Hebrew, Yahweh is just those four consonants. Hebrew was originally written without vowels. Uh, The vowels come in actually as late as the 10th century A.D., but as, as time would pass, as the Old Testament would, would move on, uh, the Israelites got so scared of violating the third commandment and taking God's name in vain that they, that they wouldn't say Yahweh. Uh, they would instead say um, Adonai, uh, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. When vowels were added later... Um, as well as in the couple of centuries leading up to Jesus when Greek became the, the predominant language of the world the Old Testament was translated into Greek and in Greek you get the Greek word for Lord and then when the vowels were added later the vowels for Adonai were added to the Hebrew word Yahweh which is where we get Jehovah we can have the Y and the V and the W conversation later but So we run into Jehovah. If your if your version has Jehovah instead of the Lord, that's why. It's still their way of, of pointing you back to Yahweh. But the reality is Yahweh is just a, another form of the to be verb. God keeps, keeps referring to Himself as I am. He keeps referring to Himself as eternal and unchangeable. And without any needs, independent. And he points Moses back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his covenant faithfulness, his covenant promises. He's telling us that Yahweh is God's personal covenant name. He's the one who called Israel, who created Israel, who's preserved Israel, who's provided for her such that they actually are as as numerous, perhaps even more so, as the Egyptians, even in slavery. And in many ways, that's the point of these verses. God says to Moses, I am the eternal, unchangeable, independent, only God of heaven and earth, am with you. I'm with you. I will be with you, Moses, just as I was with Abraham and with Isaac and With Jacob. Isn't that what Moses needs? He's called to this this work. He's being called and commissioned to go back to Egypt and deliver the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, and to take them to the promised land. What does he need more than anything? Better gifts, Uh, better understanding. Hours and hours and hours of practice. Um, To study language better. To have a better understanding of politics and and leadership skills. No, what he needs more than anything is to know God is with me. In all of this. Can I point you back to the end of chapter 2? Again, my... The favorite, my favorite chapter ending probably in all of Scripture except maybe Revelation. We can talk about that for another day. Verse 24 God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew, and now God has come. God looks at Moses and says, I am with you. How will your friends and family respond to your weaknesses? How will your friends and family respond when you struggle with doubt? How will your friends and family respond when you question God's wisdom and plan for your life? When you're faced with obstacles that you know you've got to walk through, are they going to tell you try harder, work more? Or are they going to point you to God who is with you? I know you don't speak well. I know you're a murderer. I know you're scared. But Moses, you aren't even going to deliver my people. I am. I'm doing this. For sovereign God over all of... Creation, God sure does have weird ways of accomplishing His plans, doesn't He? Do you look in the mirror and go, really? I'm what you got, God? Like, you really? You are the sovereign Creator of all the universe and your whole plan is... Um, Alright, people. You take the Gospel to the four corners of the globe. You are my instruments for... He could do it with a snap of a finger. And His plan instead is to take years, centuries, decades, millennia, and for us to be His tools. That's not how I would have planned my glory. I would figure out ways to make me do it all so that y'all wouldn't have to do anything because then His plan involves fallen, broken, redeemed, sinful people. He does the work, but He calls us to follow Him and to do the work that He is going to do through us. But I feel like there's something missing. Like you have you finish this chapter and you think, there's just something missing. God has come down. He's met with Moses. He's here. He's with him. And yet, he's still just fire. And we're going to see him as a cloud. We're going to see him as a, a pillar of fire as he leads the Israelites through the desert. Doesn't that leave you wanting more? Doesn't that leave you thinking... You're here, but you're fire. The reality is we need more than that. And Jesus in John 8 tells us, I'm that more. I am the one that you need. I am the more. Because here in John 8, there's this whole conversation between... Jesus and these Jewish leaders. And Abraham keeps coming up in the conversation. And finally, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see this day. And that's when they finally said, hold on, time out. You're like 30. Abraham was 2,000 years ago. 1,600 years ago. pretty sure you didn't meet Abraham now you okay it's only on Twitter that people pick up rocks to stone you for grammar mistakes like that's what Twitter's for I'm going to throw rocks at people who can't get grammar right like Jesus says before Abraham was I am and you notice nobody says hold on Jesus your verbs all wrong They picked up rocks. They knew what Jesus had just done. They knew He just claimed to be God. They knew He just claimed to be the God of the bush in Exodus 3. He took God's personal covenant name on himself and said, Before Abraham was, I am. And so they grabbed rocks. Which is the right appropriate response for someone who commits blasphemy. It's only blasphemy if it isn't true. We want more We're left at Exodus 3 wanting, God, is great that you're here and that you're in a bush and that you're fire. But what I really need more than anything else is I need you here as me. I need you here in the flesh. I need you here as a man. I need you to come and deliver us from the greater slavery. Which, by the way, Jesus referred to earlier in our John 8 passage. What, what Jesus means is that God has come, not as fire, but He's come as one of us. He's come as a man that God has seen, God has heard, God has remembered, and now God has come to accomplish our delivery, our freedom from the greater slavery. Not slavery in Egypt, but bondage to sin. God has come in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity has come all the way down to free us from slavery to sin and to lead us to the promised land. Maybe you look at your guilt and your sin and your shame and you think to yourself, what on earth can be done about this? Is there really any way God uses this? This? When Jesus looks at you and says, I am. Yeah, but Jesus, I'm I am. But you don't know I am. Jesus has come to deliver us. He will accomplish it. Look to Him. Look to Jesus as the great I am, God in the flesh who saves from sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your faithfulness and to come and take on flesh and to live and walk this earth as a man subject to the very laws You wrote, to the honor and glory of the Father that You might accomplish our deliverance, our freedom, to lead us out of slavery, out of bondage, and to the land of promise. Would you strengthen our faith even now? We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.